Well, spring has sprung, that's for sure, and uh, thank goodness that means more than just cutting the grass. Um, it is time to get out and enjoy the outdoors, but we can also, at least for me, spring means uh, memories of spring sports, and uh, that then calls to mind uh, the cries, the words, the admonitions, the screams of coaches uh, in years past, most of which is suitable to repeat in polite mixed company. Um, Soccer, I can recall coaches in the past uh, saying, spread out, spread out. You've got to play your position. Baseball, a little bit of baseball. Get off the your, your heels. Get on the balls of your feet so that you can be ready, so that you can be prepared, so that you're you know, ready to move, able to, to quickly anticipate what it is, maybe literally, that's coming your way. Um, and, and the fact is we, we, you know, we do need to be ready. You do need to be prepared. You do need to anticipate and know uh, what might be coming and then uh, be prepared for that. And, and Jesus, Jesus would certainly have us to be that as well, to be prepared lest we be unprepared for what is coming. Um, and we see something of that here in this uh, second installment in this little series uh, on the life of Peter. So uh, last week we started that. This is in the, the latter part of the Gospels, is uh, sections that we're looking at here. We're picking up uh, in Luke 22. So if you've got a Bible with you now, I'd ask you to turn to Luke. That is the third of the four Gospels that we, we have. This is in the New Testament, Matthew, then Mark. And Luke, and then you have John and Acts and the letters, but we're in, in Luke 22. Uh, we are right here in terms of the, the flow of events, um, right after Jesus has been apprehended, right after he has been arrested, just prior to his trial, uh, the formal trial anyway, and his, his crucifixion. Uh, Luke 22, verses 54 through 62. Hear now God's word. And they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Would you pray with me? Lord, as the psalmist tells us in Psalm 19, that the law, your law is perfect and it revives the soul. And your testimony is sure, and it makes wise the simple. And your precepts are right, and they rejoice the heart. And your commandments are pure, enlightening the eyes. Your rule, your laws, your precepts, 
are clean and endure forever, are true and are righteous altogether. That is exactly what we've just read from. And we ask that you would do all those things. We, we are not presumptuous because you have promised to speak by your Spirit through your Word. And so that is simply what we are asking for now. And we ask that you would give us attentive hearts. Um, meet each heart here, each life, each soul, each, each person. Uh, where you you know them, where you know us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Your instincts can steer you wrong. Um, What comes naturally can oftentimes get you into trouble. That's why bug zappers can do what they do. Um, Now, there there are some different theories. I'll just tell you, I read a little bit about this this past week. Different theories as to what exactly it is that makes a perfectly healthy, apparently happy, bug fly right on into its, its death. Some postulate that perhaps it's uh, these lights at night are messing with the navigation systems of these flying insects. That seems to be possible, but there's some holes in that theory. Some, some postulate, some, some theories say, well, actually, it's actually confusing the sex drive of, of these bugs and kind of messing with them in, in that sense, and so they go flying in the night Uh, towards these bright lights. But whatever the case is, we do know this much. We know that proverbial saying, like a moth towards the flame is not a good thing. You don't want to be like that. We we know that that much. Instincts can steer you wrong. Doing what comes naturally can get you into trouble. I was reminded of that this past week. We had a plumber uh, come over to our house and and do some work, and so he was to, to attend to said Pipes. He had to crawl up under the in the crawl space of our house, and now, thanks to that whole event and that whole encounter, I have broken glass underneath the house and a dead snake underneath a tree in the yard. Let me explain. So that does bear some explanation. The uh, the plumber. So he goes in there, and I, this is what I pieced together with the story. He, he goes underneath the house to attend to the job that he's well skilled to do, and unfortunately, there was some stuff that he had to move out of the way, and and this, among the stuff was this aquarium, and this aquarium. It wasn't being used, it's just there. And so he picks up the aquarium and ah, he sees this, this snake uh, laying up, who's an old friend of mine, by the way. But he, he picks up, he sees this, this aquarium, he freaks out because of the snake, and now I have broken glass under my house and a dead snake under a tree. Why? Because again, instincts can steer you wrong. Doing what comes naturally can get you into trouble. That takes us to the text, believe it or not. You may be wondering how, but it does. Um, first recap, where we were last week. Um, Jesus, on the eve of his arrest and his execution, gives a warning to his disciples in general and to Peter specifically. There in Luke 22, verses 31 to 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demand to have you. And you may remember last week we talked about the fact that the first two yous here are in the plural. So he's speaking to the... The, the group that's there as a whole, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded, have you, you all, in a sense, that he might sift you all like wheat, but I have prayed for you, specifically, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter, you may remember, responds to Jesus' prediction and warning here with something of a boast. Um, 
here in verse 33. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. What's going on here? Why is Peter arguing with Jesus? Well, three things, and we talked about this last week. His, his failure to rightly estimate these three things. One, the intensity of the struggle that he is going to face. Two, the lack of resources within himself that he actually has. And three, Jesus. Jesus and his intentions and, and love and power for him. And that takes you from the warning of Jesus to the failure now of Peter in our text this morning. Well, what's going on here? Why Why does that happen? Why does that unfold as it does? This is the lesson that Peter learns, and it's the one that we need to learn as well. The Christian life is often not what we expect. The Christian life is often not what we expect. We need to know that and live out of that. The Christian life is often not what we expect. What I mean by that, we see three things in this passage that I think are very helpful, very instructive, and somewhat humbling, but in the end quite encouraging and, and good for us to take to heart. These three things. One, subtle attacks. Two, surprising fronts. And three, a shocking love. Those three things uh, we see here. Let's look at them in, in turn as we, as we go. First, these Subtle attacks. We talked about this last week. There's the reality of a spiritual war. There is an enemy. There are battles that we are to fight. Now, in all of that, with all of that in mind, what sort of attacks should we be expecting? Well, you know, they, they're not always full frontal assaults. That seems to be what Peter's anticipating. That seems to be what he's He's thinking uh, when, when Jesus says to him what, what he does there in, in the garden prior to the actual uh, arrest. Peter seems to have in mind um, the dramatic, that that's how the attack is going to come. Uh, maybe violence, maybe torture. I mean, after all, you know, you, you keep reading and you, and you do learn of there, Peter gets a sword. He wields a sword. He attacks. He cuts off a guy's ear, a guy named Malchus. Actually, you keep reading and you put all these accounts together and you come to find that the third of the, 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 his accusers, uh, of the folks that, that recognize him there by the fire in the, in the chief priest's uh, courtyard, is a relative of the guy that Peter attacks, recognizes him, and also knows him by apparently his accent that they can easily discern is from North uh, Galilee. Um, which, by the way, that whole thing, I should quick aside here, is, is yet another point of evidence as to why the gospel accounts are so trustworthy. Uh, if you read the, gospel, the four gospel accounts just of this particular event and the whole event uh, and, and all these cases where you see parallels, but in particular this here, this account here of, Jesus, of, of excuse me, Peter there in the courtyard, they differ a little bit. All four have slightly different vantage points. And that makes sense. It's all taking place at night. There's a lot of parties involved. It's the tricky lighting. It's a courtyard. It's a, it's a, it's a light there at night. It's late at night. And, and um, it's not hard to imagine how it is that you could have slightly different perspectives on the same event. And, and, I, and I, I would maintain that actually, you might say, well, how does that help me? It actually should give you confidence that this is trustworthy, that, this, that the early church did not take the four Gospels and clean them up and make it nice and tidy for us, but rather they left them as they are, as historic documents that we can trust. 
That's your aside. Back to the that's your rabbit trail. Now back back on the main trail. So um, these subtle these attacks can be subtle, not always by a full assault. Sometimes they come in a very ordinary way. Uh, in a very ordinary way. Um, you think in terms of the circumstances here. Uh, the, the the night is cool, which is quite quite frequent there, and even in the spring, in in uh, that part of Judea, um, the night is cool. Peter is coming there with John. We read that from John's Gospel. Uh, there in the in that courtyard, he wants to warm himself up. He's it's late. He's tired. He's dropped his guard, and he begins to make a series of compromises. Um, he begins to rationalize things. He begins to lie. Uh, he is, to save his skin, he is willing to deny his Savior. Why? Because the Christian life is not always what we expect. Sometimes those attacks can be very, very subtle. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters um, writes of this. Some of you may be familiar with the Screwtape Letters. Uh, the, the premise of the, the collection is a series of letters ostensibly written between a senior tempter, Screwtape, and his underling, Wormwood. And they're, what they're trying to do is trip up and crash the faith of a recent convert to Christianity. Well, in letter number 12, and there's an excerpt from this in your, uh, your quotes, um, letter number 12 there at the top, this is what Screwtape says. And it fits very much in what we're seeing here. You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turning, without milestones, without signposts. That's right. So let me ask you a question. What kind of attack were you expecting? What kind of assault were you anticipating? Sometimes it comes in a dramatic fashion. Sometimes it comes like it did for those poor 12 Christians on that boat, uh, that refugee boat, this reported this past week, moving across the Mediterranean from Libya to Italy, thrown overboard, drowned by Muslim extremists. That's a case when the attack is not subtle, it's dramatic, it's in your face. How will you stand? How will you answer? Whose are you? But it's not normally like that. It's normally in, in the humdrum, in the ordinary, in, in just the daily stuff of life, not spectacular at all. You see, the Christian life may not be as you expect. Sometimes those attacks are far more subtle than you may think. And I would add one thing here, and that is that daily faithfulness in the ordinary is what sets the spiritual muscle memory, if you will, for the extraordinary. Okay, so the attacks can be far more subtle than we may think, but where would they come from? 
sometimes from surprising fronts. That's the second point. Sometimes from surprising fronts. Um, not necessarily in what you think are your places of weakness. By places of weakness, in Peter's case, what I mean in, in our own is, is this, the places where we are sensitive to. The, way, the places in our lives where we have our guard up because we feel ourselves to be weak there. Now, in Peter's case, likely his areas of weakness that he might have been sensitive to, that he might have had his guard up in, might have been in theological knowledge. You know, he would have had to have said, yeah, you're right, I was not formally trained in a rabbinical school. The teachers of the law, the scribes of the day, would have been upset with him about that. Also this, not just theological knowledge, but if, I will, if you will, practical holiness. I mean, after all, Peter, this is the chief priest, the scribes, you haven't been keeping the Sabbath, right? And by the way, you've been keeping poor company along with that. Those would be areas that Peter might have been sensitive to and um, had his guard up about, but it's, it's not there at all. That's not where the attack comes. It comes not in the areas of his perceived weakness, it comes in the areas of his perceived strengths. Where he thinks himself to be safe and secure. He thinks himself to be a courageous man. Peter cannot possibly envision a scenario where he's going to retreat and run. I mean, after all, he did follow Jesus into this courtyard, did he not? He does, when the moment of truth, if you will come, grabs the sword while there are soldiers everywhere. Peter cannot envision a scenario where he is going to retreat and run. In fact, what he can envision is rather that he is going to rise up above all the others. I will never desert you. Like inference, they will. He thinks himself to be better than the others when in actuality he turns out in the end to be worse. Worse. Now why is this? Because in the, again, the Christian life is often not what we expect. Sometimes the fronts can be so surprising where these attacks come from. I was asked a question uh, just a couple weeks ago after the service. It's a very good question. Do you think your church will ever endorse homosexuality? That's a tricky question. Let me explain why it's tricky. Um, because on the one hand, I would have to say, well, we don't. We try to love people in a homosexual lifestyle, but no, we don't actually endorse homosexuality. Now, I said it's tricky. Why are you qualifying? I'm going to qualify it like this, because we might. And I say that because of history. Think back to 19th century Presbyterianism. Stalwarts. You go back and read those men. Their writings. Well worth bringing out and learning from today. Oh, their orthodoxy, the sharpness of their minds. And the stands, the courageous stands that they took for orthodoxy. And the fundamentals of the faith. But their successors, meaning well, began to make accommodations. And it didn't happen all at once. It happened over time. It was incremental. So we might. You understand where it happened? You understand where the attack came from? 
where they thought themselves to be strong. So let me ask you a question. Where did you think the attack was going to come from? What front were you prepared for? It might come from where you're weak. It might come from that area of your life right now where you know you need some shoring up. It might. But you know what? More likely, it will come in that area of your life where right now you think yourself to be safe and secure. Now where is that? Let me tell you how you can figure it out with the Lord's help. Where are you vulnerable? What sins are you most susceptible to? The one you think right now you will never commit. The one where you are convinced in your heart of hearts you would never do. That is where you are most vulnerable right now. That is the sin in your life you are most susceptible to committing tomorrow. It is the area in your life where you look at another person and you are most offended when you see it in their life because you have presumed yourself to be above it. That is where you are most vulnerable. That is where the attack most likely will come from. The Christian life is not what we usually expect. The fronts can be so surprising. But I have good news for you. His love can be so shocking. So shocking. Where at the end of this episode do we find Peter? Where does it leave him when you just stop at what I stopped at? Verses 61 and 62. Let's read it again. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. It was that look, you understand, that undid the man. That just broke him. That just shattered him. I think it begs a question. What kind of look was this? that could do that. Some of you may have seen years ago uh, Robin Hood, the Prince of Thieves, starring Kevin Costner in the title role. Uh, there's a scene towards the end in the, the climactic final big battle scene where one of Robin's men is about to be put to death. And Robin sees this from way on the other side of, of the courtyard. And so he trains his arrow upon the axe man. And he lets it fly. And what's really cool with the cinematography is, if you remember the film, is the camera is set on the arrow shaft as that arrow is flying through all the chaos and, and craziness of the, the, the battle going on there in that courtyard scene such that the, the executioner starts to get larger and larger and larger the closer that that arrow gets to him until finally he fills the frame and then he's dead. It's that kind of look. Back to reality, back to history, back to real events. It's that kind of look that flies from across the courtyard 
from Jesus to Peter with every bit as much of aim and purpose. But again, it begs the question, what kind of look? What kinds of looks, right? I've gotten them, you've gotten them, we give them. What kind of look is it? It's, it the, the, the Greek verb here implies it's an intensive look. It's a, it's a close examination. It's a, it's a deep, penetrating, incisive look of, of knowing. It's that kind of, of look. It is not a look of condemnation, which is very important for us to understand. It is not a look of condemnation. Now you think in ther- terms of how, how I might have, you and I might have looked at Peter, right? You think in terms of their history, the history between these two men. Three, three, three years. Peter has laughed with this man, eaten with this man, walked with this man. Jesus has saved him, literally, body and soul. Jesus has poured his life into this former fisherman. So, Jesus now knows in this context, he's already received some beatings, he knows what's coming yet more, and he knows what Peter has done. He can perceive it. He looks but then does not turn away and reject him, but looks at him in love. It's not a look of rejection and condemnation. It's a look of love and compassion. Even then, despite everything else that's, that's going on. Verse 61, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Why did he turn? Well, we know from just the sequence of events. He turns because he too hears that rooster crow. Why does he look at Peter? He looks at Peter in essence to communicate, I think, something like this. Peter, I knew what all of this would expose in you. The cowardice, the deceit, and where you thought yourself, in yourself, to be so safe and secure. Peter, I knew that. And that's why I'm doing this. Because of what I know in you. Christian life is not what we expect. His love is so shocking. Can I ask you another question? When you fail... And notice I didn't say if. When you fail, when you fall on your face, what do you need? Him. What's Peter's experience? Peter's experience was to be lifted up, he had to be laid low. To be lifted up, he first had to be laid low. This quote at the bottom, and your quotes and notes from Steve Brown, it's great. It's really good. Let me read it to you. Let me tell you something that might shock you. Your disobedience, your failure, your rebellion, your struggle to be better, in short, your sin, is the greatest gift God has given you if you know it. Not only that, your obedience, your faithfulness, your success, and your getting better, 
is the most dangerous place you can be when you know it. See, Peter's experience was, and ours often is to be lifted up, he's going to have to first lay us low. Now when he does, lift your eyes and see his looking on you, not with condemnation, but with compassion. Again, the Christian life is not what we expect. His love is so shocking. Let me wrap this up. Not all the news this past week was bad. On a lighter note, the trailer for the new Star Wars movie came out. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, yes, that's right. You know, you can watch it if, you know, 30 times if you want. Um, it's the same each time. I figured that out. Um, you hear Luke's voiceover. You catch glimpses, of course, of R2 and Han Solo and Chewbacca. A lot of high hopes. You won't see Yoda. You won't see Yoda. I hate to burst your bubble there. Yoda, 1980, Empire Strikes Back, passed on a long time ago. But you know, the little green dude, the 800-year-old Jedi master, he got some of the best lines. Some of the best lines. Some of the most quotable lines in, in the whole series of all those films. Now, some of you have heard me hearken back to this before. So bear with me. So in that, remember Dagobah, the swamp? Luke is training to be a Jedi, right? And he's flummoxed. He's frustrated. He doesn't see any way that he can, he can get his, his X-Wing fighter out of the swamp. He says you know, to Yoda, look, this is different than sticks and rocks. I can't do this. It's different. To which Yoda says, and I'm not going to do the voice, sorry. No, no different only different in your mind. You must, you know this, unlearn what you have learned. We do. We really, really do need to unlearn what we have learned. Because the Christian life is not what we expect. It's not. We don't anticipate the subtleness of the attacks. We aren't prepared for the surprising nature of the fronts, where it comes from. We're not ready for the shockingness of his love. It's not what we expect. Why? Because the Christian life fundamentally is what? About following Christ. And you know what? He's not what we expect. We read earlier from Isaiah 55. I'll save you the trouble of turning there. Just pull your bulletin out again. Isaiah 55, the last two verses. For my thoughts, this is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, the last half of what's there in your bulletin. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, normally, the way that's taught, and my bet is the way 95% of you have learned what that is all about, is that's about God's uh, great 
wisdom and power. Well, it is and it isn't. In its context, it's actually about God's mercy and grace. In that sense, His ways, His paths are so much higher than our own. So much. And that is what Peter so desperately needed to learn. And so do I. And so do you. Let's pray together. Lord, none of this is as we would think. And it sure isn't as we would have made up. You allow the battles to come our way in many senses to knock the props from out under us. And the one we follow then picks us up and makes us new. We know that you don't deal with us as we deserve. We see that in, in Peter and these denials. And because of that, we can identify so much with this man. His cowardice and his fear. His deceit. And the compromises that he is willing to make. Strength, he thinks, is in himself. Security, he thinks, is in himself. And all that being exposed in a devastating sort of way. Oh, we would do well to see ourselves in Peter. For, oh God, with, as with him, we need you. As with him, we need to trust you, abide in you like the branches and the vine, look to you as our only hope, lean into you as the only, the only thing that will not give way. Pray that you'd help us to learn these things and thrive in them. Learn them together. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We ask our ushers now.